When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. When people hear the word chemotherapy, hair loss is one of the first concerns that comes to mind. For many, hair loss is an integral and dreaded component of the treatment to fight cancer. The hair on our heads is important beyond its basic functions of protecting the scalp and regulating body temperature. Hair symbolizes physical strength, vitality, and virility. Physical attractiveness can be closely linked with hair. Hair that flows signifies health and freedom. What happens when all of your hair falls out during cancer treatment? How do you deal with this loss, which is a sign to yourself and to the world that you're ill? I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. In today's episode, I talk with Rory Green, writer, psychotherapist, workshop leader, who in 2015 was treated for breast cancer. Together we explore our experiences in dealing with hair loss and the changes in self-perception that accompany cancer treatment, as well as the period post-treatment when your hair begins to grow back. Well, Rory, thank you for coming in today to talk with me about all about hair uh, for the Real Cancer podcast. Um, before we delve into the topic, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about your journey with cancer. Mm, well, thank you so much for having me today, Diane. I'm very honored to be here. And um, my journey with cancer began in, I want to say, April 2015 when I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer. Um, and I had various, it was, it was a long and involved diagnosis as I realized, I thought that I knew a little bit about breast cancer at the time. As you know, it runs in my family. Um, when I was diagnosed, my mother was living with stage four breast cancer. And um, it turns out that I knew very little because I think you always get a massive uh, and unexpected education when you're diagnosed. And in fact, all, you know, the, just hearing the word cancer and, and breast cancer is just a generalized label, really, because I, you know, I soon realized that it manifests very different and individually in each body. That's right. There are several different diagnoses and exactly. I actually don't even know very much about them because that's not my cancer. Exactly. So. Yes. And by the end of it, because I'm somebody and I, and I spoke to many women along and I still do along this journey. I, and I'd spoke to some women and said, I didn't want to know anything. I didn't look at the internet. I didn't ask any questions. I just followed my doctor's orders, but that was me. <laughs> And, you know, I was the opposite. So I sort of threw myself into the research and looked in, you know, every single corner and every single study. And um, I really sort of delved into it and felt like I really could have taught a university course on my particular breast cancer by the end of it. But right. um, yeah, but I but just uh, on a I, I was diagnosed and I had uh, a lumpectomy and um, I had 12 weeks of chemo. I had another drug called Herceptin and I had... Um, radiation. Yeah. Right. So that was my, that was my particular course of treatment. All right. Great. Thank you so much. So we're talking about hair. It's, uh, I think just one of the, um, signs that you're ill, uh, that the rest of the world can see. It's really a confirmation to yourself that things are changing. 
Um, you look very unlike yourself if your hair falls out. It's a source of a lot of anxiety. What sort of thoughts did you have about hair when you first got your diagnosis, or did you think about hair at all? Mm, it's an interesting one because hair was always a big currency in my family. Like we were just a family. I'm the youngest of three girls. We all have a lot of hair. And, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s. It was all about our hair. And and just I think that I realized what a currency that was. My mother also had very long, you know, lustrous hair by even in her 70s. And, um, and I think that there was a real sense of like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be as valued as I was in the family if I didn't have this this gorgeous long hair, which of course wasn't true, but I think I'd grown up believing that in some way, that that was valuable or that was a, a currency in my family for love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, that turned out not to be true at all, but I think that was the first thing that came up for me, like, wow, what is that going to be like to have, you know, to be in this, in the context of this family without hair? It was a big question. Right. Uh, so it wasn't just for me thinking about my individual, what was going to happen to me individually, how it would impact my self-image and my self-esteem, but also how would I fit in the context, you know, of this collective group. And I think that's true for many people. Right. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah. Huh. I was in the hospital when I, I had just had surgery when I learned I had cancer. And then I heard about, uh, you know, that I was going to go through this treatment and my hair would fall out. And I kind of dismissed it um, as, you know, just like, I can't even deal with that. I'm not, it's not that important. Yeah. And um, I remember, um, doctor talking about different kinds of, you know, the cold cap or the wearing wigs. And I just thought I cannot deal with any of that. I'm just going to kind of get through it. I'm going to wear a little hat. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to invest a lot of my time thinking about this thing. It's just too, I, the rest of it is too much. Yes. And, um, and the hair isn't really that important. It's going to grow back. Yes. Um, I definitely changed my thought about that afterwards. When it actually happened, I know, because I think that it's a, because it's a visible sign of the deconstruction of, of your image. But I think, you know, as we both know, that when you go through this journey of a cancer diagnosis, that so many things get deconstructed. Um, but a lot of it, the outside world can't see because it's happening internally. Right. Um, but the hair is obviously one thing that is an immediate, you know, like a red flag, like, oh, that, that person must, you know, must be going through cancer treatment. That person must be unwell or ill if for some reason, you know, you're walking around without hair. There's, a, there's assumptions around it. Right. So, so talk a little bit about that process for you. Um, you started off with concerns about how you're going to fit into your family in, in addition to just some concerns about, you know, your own feelings about yourself and self-perception. But what was kind of the journey that you went on with, um, with your, your feeling about hair loss and... yeah. Well, they were unfounded concerns. I mean, I'm very close to, I, you know, very close to my sisters and had a really close relationship with my mother. My mother, as you know, died four months after I was diagnosed. So, you know, I've, I've been on, a, you know, quite a challenging journey navigating my own cancer diagnosis while navigating the end of her life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, her image was very important to her. So I think I was very bound up with that. So um, I, I, Think that I didn't mind so much about losing my hair. It felt like there was so much else going on. You know, my mother was essentially dying towards the end of my treatment, so it was kind of the least of my worries. 
but she really was concerned about me losing my hair. She didn't want to see me. Mm. She didn't want to see me lose my hair. So interestingly, I had um, 12 weeks of a chemo drug called Taxol. And I was told, I remember when I went in for that introductory session with the chemo nurse, and she said, well, with this particular protocol, some women don't lose their hair. And I remember thinking to myself, that's going to be me. I won't <laughs> lose. I'll be the one that, you know, I won't lose my hair. And, you know, as you know, it did take a long while. By the end of, by the end of treatment, my hair did all fall out. But it, it, it did take a slow journey. And it, it was, you know, it was a journey of thinning, as it were. Right. So I wasn't thrown into that because I was doing it weekly, I wasn't thrown into suddenly having to shave my head. In fact, I didn't shave my head until after the 12 weeks were over. So it was a slower journey for me. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I remember just, you know, as I said, I kind of dismissed the whole concern about my hair falling out. Um, but then I talked to a lot of people who one of my coping strategies for dealing with cancer and chemotherapy was to talk to a lot of people who had had cancer, who had experienced chemotherapy. And talking to them, I really um, came to the idea that I was going to need a wig because it was going to be very traumatic to lose my hair. And once my hair started falling out, it was really pretty traumatic. Um, I had, you know, blonde hair sort of all over the place. Um, so I cut it short into a pixie, um, probably about six weeks in or so. And, um, but then it was still really falling out. So by about the eighth week, it was, um, it really had to be shaved off. Yes. Um, and so prior to that, I decided to buy a wig. And <laughs> that was <laughs> quite an adventure into a whole new world of, um, of wigs, which I just basically knew nothing about. Um, and it was, a, it was such a stressful time. It was really, really hard. Um, but I just felt sort of desperately like I needed to get a wig. Yes. And I think there's also, for me, I had this experience of, well, there's all these opportunities. You know, I, I did, for my particular journey, I always tried to think, well, where are the silver linings? You know, where are the opportunities? And there's something around that. Well, I could be somebody, you know, I can reinvent myself. You know, I can try out different ways of looking and different ways of being. We all get so dependent on how we've defined ourselves in the world. So That's right. I was curious about that. And, um, and for me, I was also curious about what would life be like without a wig? So there was a part of me that came up, and I think that was the part that was connected to my family, where I was very defiant. I thought, I'm not. You know, you and I were quite mm -hmm. different in that. I thought, I'm not going to get a wig. That's right. I'm just going to go out bald in the world and see what that feels like. And in fact, you know, because I didn't lose my hair until after my mother died, that felt quite um, that felt quite potent and quite powerful because I was I felt so bare on the inside, having navigating the treatment and then losing my mum that um, to then shave my head felt like it was an accurate representation of my internal oh, landscape. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think, and I think, but there is, and I've seen women who really actually take like a run with that opportunity of like, well, okay, so let's try like a completely different type of, you know, color or. That's right. Yeah. I, I did that when I went wig shopping, I tried on a brown wig yeah. and uh, a long brown wig. And my hair at the time was kind of short blonde hair. Um, and that was fun to kind of experience 
to, to just consider I didn't end up getting a brown wig. But um, yeah, people said to me, oh, and you could get a pink wig and you could get this and that. And I did end up buying um, a, a, a like a baseball cap that had blonde hair yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, I remember always looking at those on online. <laughs> they kind of freaked me out. Um, I think it's kind of a great idea, but the, the hair itself, I just couldn't stand having synthetic hair near my face. Yeah. And so I pulled it back into pigtails. I wore that a few times, maybe four times or so. Um, and that was sort of an easy thing to have. Um, I didn't, end, I did end up buying a beautiful, um, human hair wig, um, that luckily my insurance paid for cause it cost a lot of money. Um, uh, and I didn't end up wearing it very much. I was going through chemotherapy in the summer. It was so hot. The, the wig just felt like too much. I couldn't deal with it. I wasn't really going places anyway. I was mostly just going to chemotherapy and staying home. Um, but I did go out to a few events and having that wig to wear to those events made me feel much better. Mm. Um, I did wear just a little hat most of the time, a little cap. My, my original idea, in fact, came to fruition. That's what I felt most comfortable in. Um, but, you know, if I was putting on a dress and going somewhere nice, um, I thought the little cap just wasn't quite what was needed. And so I was happy for the wig at those moments. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and I'm a big believer in whatever, in whatever helps. I never had any judgment about how other women, and it really became clear to me that everybody was choosing, there, there's common threads, common links, but that each woman has a different journey and different motivations for choosing, you know, whether she's going to feel rebellious and go out or whether that doesn't feel rebellious. Maybe that just feels liberating. There was part of it that felt liberating to me to go out without anything covering my head, but, uh, that everybody's choice is different, valuable. And what about the cold cap? That's something that, um, I didn't even consider. It seemed like just way too much trouble. Um, did you think about that at all? I was told about it. I was curious because, as you know, I have friends in England who were going through cancer treatment um, simultaneous to me and using the cold cap, but it seemed like it was much more readily available there, that there they had some sort of a machine where you actually just plugged in this this cold machine that to to keep the um, the caps that you put in your head frozen. But when it was explained to me, and I think they might they might have moved on here, but when in 2015, it was kind of an ordeal to mm-hmm. use the cold cap. And, that you, and it also meant having to stay um, at the oncologist's office for hours longer than you would normally have to. That's right. And for me, that was the, that was the deal breaker. You know, I just thought I can't, I just, it's enough already to be here. I don't want to spend that extra time just to hold on to my hair. Yeah, that's right. Well, you and I both had weekly treatment. Yeah. Um, many people have treatment every three weeks. Yes. And so it might be more manageable yeah. every three weeks than every single week. I think week so. Yeah, I think the weekly schedule but, is yeah, more grueling in a way. But I think that it is um, it is so much anyway that, um, it, that it's hard to to do the cold cap, I think. Yeah. Um, although we know somebody yeah. who has, who did do it and she did keep her hair. Yeah, no, I know more than a few people who were really pleased with that decision because I think again, then they don't maybe have to navigate that space of going out into the world and, you know, getting the looks or, you know, the sort of tilted head look like, oh, you know, she's lost her hair. She must be, you know, suffering from cancer. So I think people like the idea that they could then, it's not so exposing, you know, yeah. if, if you go out into the world looking how you all have always looked. Yeah, I that was one of my concerns because my son was starting 
um, high school. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I don't want, you know, his friends to be meeting me or yes. their parents to be meeting me and not know me and, and kind of see me first as a cancer yes. patient. Yes, I can understand that. Before they knew anything else about me. Yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, what you did do, what worked and what didn't work for you? Well, I want to circle back because I think it's very symbolic. You talked about the hair beginning to fall out in the shower. And I remember being very fearful of that. Um, just wondering what that was ex- experience was going to be like. I remember avoiding washing my hair <laughs> because I was so scared it was going to fall out. And of course, I had this you know magical thinking that I was going to be the one whose hair didn't fall out. So I think that's just an interesting experience. And I know I'm you know I'm laughing about it now, but it's very traumatizing. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, really traumatizing. And that somehow you think that you know I felt responsible. Like, well, am I using the wrong shampoo, or have I you know have I have I you know lathered up too much, or just that I felt like I could control it. And of course, you know, I didn't have any control over that. So I think, what was your experience of the actual falling out of the hair? Mine fell out mostly onto my, um, my pillowcase. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'd find it on my clothes. I'm as a, you know, blonde hair and then I'm always wearing black. And so I had yeah. blonde hair all over my black clothing all the time. Um, but really, uh, I went to go, I went on a, a holiday and stayed at my sister-in-law's house. And I remember just having the pillowcase that was the, like right before I shaved my head, my pillowcase was just covered in hair every morning. And that is just a kind of a an awful feeling, you know, just to see how much of your hair is falling out and then to look at your yourself in the mirror. I had a pixie cut at the time, so it wasn't that apparent, but I was starting to really be able to see my scalp. Yes. Um, uh, so it was, it was time to, to cut it. I think, though, in retrospect, I could have uh, cut my hair quite a bit shorter um, in between before shaving it and had... Um, kind of a really short haircut um, because obviously now after uh, finishing treatment, I've done the reverse and that really short haircut is actually a great haircut to have. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it looks great on you too. I know. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, I remember you had kind of a little, um, uh, like you wore a scarf for a while. I did. That's because I was like balding on top. I know <laughs> I was like an 80 year old man. Yes. <laughs> balding on top, but I still had, I, I had gone from long. So initially when I first started chemo, I cut it into a short bob. Um, but I kept the length for a while, but yes, it, it was not looking, was not looking too awesome on the top of my head. So I would <laughs> wear like a bandana scarf. Um, until it eventually, yes, I had to relinquish. I had to surrender. And I've talked about this a lot. Um, for me, the word surrender was really important. And surrender mm-hmm. as strength rather than as weakness. Because I think so often we associate surrender with weakness. But for me, I felt more strength in myself when I stopped resisting whatever mm-hmm. was happening and kind of gave myself over to the experience and became curious about it. And what, you know, what what can I learn from this experience? Because I knew all the parts that were shitty and painful, but right. you know, I was really always trying to find that, you know, the, the gold, the gold in it as well to sift, right. to sift it, to see what, what jewels came through. Right. Yeah. That's amazing that you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't easy. It was definitely, it was a challenge, you, you know, without question, it was a challenge, but I, you know, I, I did strive for that. Did you lose your eyebrows and eyelashes at any point? You know, I didn't so much. I think my eyebrows started to thin. My eyelashes stayed put. Yeah. Right. What about you? Yeah. So I lost, really, it was at the end of my chemotherapy. So 
I had 18 weeks of chemotherapy initially. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they fell out at the end there. And then after I had a second surgery, I had nine more weeks of chemotherapy. Um, and I was quite eyelashless and eyebrowless. Um, and uh, that was that that's when you definitely look the weirdest. <laughs> um, so I started um, kind of coloring in some eyebrows, which when they started to grow back, I realized I was putting in the wrong place. I was putting them above my eyebrows <laughs> rather than where my eyebrows really go. Yeah. Um, and then I've actually lost my eyelashes, I think, four or five times I, I lost my oh, eyelashes. Really? They just, keep coming out. Yeah, just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a year since I finished chemotherapy mm. and they're kind of growing in now again for like the fifth time. Um, and um, so at this point, I'm less concerned about it. It's sort of annoying. I'm trying to put mascara on and the mascara is like all over my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I realize, oh, I have no eyelashes. That's why I can't put mascara on. Um, and I still am coloring in my eyebrows because they. Ne- I, I guess they were never really very good to begin with. And this is the era of great eyebrows. So I want to have better eyebrows. Um, but I'm still doing that, but at least I have some hair there to guide me, um, in terms of that. And then, uh, the hair on the rest of your body, how did that affect you? I was, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this before as well, this idea that you, that you become almost childlike, you know? Yeah. I lost hair all over my body. I was very hairless. And then when you don't have the hair on your head or your eyebrows or your eyelashes, it's almost like this transformation. It's like a rebirth. It's like you go back to a baby state in some ways, you know? Yeah. So that, I mean, I think it was happening it didn't happen um, quickly. It happened gradually. So I sort of barely noticed it. Yeah, I really. noticed the same thing. Yeah. Uh, suddenly I had no pubic hair. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, when did that fall out? Yes. I didn't notice that happening at all. But I, I, I realized how much I liked my pubic hair and that I wanted <laughs> it to grow back in. <laughs> yeah, I had the same experience. I know. Because uh, I felt like bald, no eyelashes, no eyebrows, no pubic hair. I just <laughs> I looked like an alien. <laughs> I felt like an alien. Yeah, that is such a stripping back in so many ways. It's really it's a, intense. It's really it's a an intense, intense experience. Yeah, and so um, you know, all of this that we're talking about really has to do with altered self perception as well as just altered physical state. What were some of the things that you dealt with? Not just about hair, but hair played into or was part of you know like more more changes that dealt with that um, kind of a impacted your self-perception um it's an interesting question I think that I I wanted to try and hold on to some sense of strength internal strength and as we've talked about somehow um this the the loss that you're experiencing on the outside can reflect the loss that's going on on the inside and I didn't want people and I was losing weight so talk about I was losing a lot of weight as well so and and I feel like every time I went out into the world I was like up for scrutiny you know there was an assessment like people would see me and be like oh your skin looks good or your eyes look really bright like they were just trying to find something something. (laughs) and in a way I kind of want to say you don't have to comment on how I look it doesn't you know and I and I know that it's really 
difficult for, for people out there in the world trying yeah. to navigate you know it's, it can be incredibly awkward and uncomfortable and absolutely yeah but I think that there was part of me that just wanted to wear a sign around my neck saying you do not have to talk to me <laughs> about I remember I had a wasn't a close friend but there was somebody once who was a friend of my daughter's and she was uh, picking up her daughter and she I, and I know it was just from you know feeling uncomfortable but she, when she saw me it was the first time she'd seen me without my hair and she said hi Baldy and I was just like wow. speechless I know. <laughs> and I'm sure she was you know afterwards thought oh my god why did I say that yeah what? But I just think it's like a knee-jerk reaction people feel like they have to comment on how you're looking so yeah that's right um I I know that I looked weak you know I think I looked I looked um, ill and a little emaciated, and and I on, there were many days that I felt ill and a little emaciated. But for me, I always tried to you know hold on to that internal strength, which I felt like that flame never went out. It was kind of what kept me mm-hmm. kept me going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I dealt a lot with um, uh, the physical weakness uh, because my chemotherapy went on for so long, and I had a big surgery at the beginning before I even started chemotherapy. So I was really, um, I was really knocked back when I started chemotherapy and, and then could never really recover. And, and just that loss of, uh, physical strength of stamina, um, was a really hard thing for me to deal with. Um, you know, in addition to the hair, um, just, I, I'm, I really identified with feeling capable and um, able to do things and to um, find it difficult to walk upstairs or to walk just across my backyard, have to like sit down and and recover (laughs) from that, not to be able to walk up the block really um, was so difficult. really, really difficult in terms of um, feeling like myself. Um, The good news is that once I started, I stopped having the poison, I felt like myself again. But I think that um, so much about the cancer treatment, not even the cancer, the cancer treatment really um, made me feel not like myself. Yeah, and I guess the word that comes to mind hearing you recount that is dehumanizing. It can be a very dehumanizing experience. And again, I think something I tried to concentrate on was to keep bringing the the human part back into it. Um, So even those, especially because we went weekly, you know, every single week you're reminded you're in that very clinical atmosphere. Um, right. And there is almost this sense of that, you know, it's just one patient after another, after another. I mean, I was very lucky. My doctors and all the extraordinary nurses and that treated me did not treat me like that. But I think right. that, that there is that there is potential for you to fall into that sense of feeling like you're just, you know, going on a conveyor belt, mm-hmm. really. Um, I just want to pick up on something that you said because you said the poison and I get that because I think that going back to this idea of uh, surrendering rather than resisting, you know, when I first realized I had to have chemotherapy, I was somebody I didn't even like to take a Tylenol, you know, and so when that was my advised course of treatment, I really had to surrender to, okay, this is going to happen and and I'm going to have to, my body's going to have to learn to navigate these drugs and I remember a really close friend who had gone through cancer treatment said to me, every time you go into um, have your chemo infusion, think of it as like a golden elixir, you know, golden right. light going into you. And that it was just that lovely kind of spin on. So, you know, 
being able to flip it from thinking like this is toxic to mm-hmm. thinking actually this is healing. And so um, I'm, I, for me, that would be like an, an important tip to share with whoever is listening. That really helped me. Also, I'm a very visual person. Right. So that helped. Right. I remember you shared with me, I think it was a poem about the, uh, was, was it a poem or it was something from some book yeah. that you shared with me about... Um, about the taxol coming in and the yew tree. That's right. That the, the taxol comes from. Yes. Um, the original, yes. The original formulation of taxol is from a, is from a tree. That's right. And that helped me think about it as a sort of, as from nature, you know, as from something natural. I think right. the, yes, what I was getting was probably the synthetic formulation of That's it. That's right. But yeah. it originated in a tree and that really, I mean, because poetry helps me anyway, but that, that really spoke to me. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so now, how did you deal with uh, after treatment, after your hair all fell out? How did you uh, deal with it coming back in and how does it feel? Yeah, well, I think also we've missed out talking about, which is relevant to mention, is how it feels when it is falling out because it can be really uncomfortable. I'm, I'm thinking back now. There is a lovely thing. You know, I've, I've given birth to two children and I remember people saying to me, you just won't, you people say you really, you know, there's a potential that you really won't remember childbirth. And yeah. I think there's something about cancer treatment that is a bit like that, that some defensive or protective part of you kicks in so you don't remember all the details. That's right. Um, so I'm, but I am remembering now that it can be very uncomfortable when the hair is falling out and very itchy and uh, your, your scalp can feel quite almost burny and sore. Some people have that experience. That was my experience. Mm-hmm. And then again, when it starts to grow back in, you know, you suddenly become very aware of this, of, of this uh, area on your, on your head that before you never even thought about, but it's full of sensations. It's very delicate. It's very sensitive, your scalp. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, when you don't have the hair there to kind of uh, alert you to when you get close to something yes. um, and you can bash your head into things much more easily when you don't have hair. The hair is protecting you. Exactly. You do feel much more exposed in so many ways. Um, but yeah, so now I'm, what, a year and a half, I think, since I finished treatment and my hair is coming in very thick and very curly. As And, and again, everybody's commenting on it all the time. I've had months of people tracking my hair. Oh, look at it now. And is it curly? And is it thicker? And is it darker? And <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, but uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just thrilled to be here talking about my hair. So Absolutely. I'm really less concerned about it than I was. And I'm just welcoming it growing back in and trying to navigate all the different stages. Not all of them fun at all. You know, I think for me, I went through because my hair was coming back in so thick and curly. I went certainly through a very awkward stage. I think I'm over the really awkward stage now. That's right. Yeah. Your hair looks good. Thank you. <laughs> um, I found that having that really short haircut was actually fantastic. I was so excited to get rid of my little cap as soon as possible. So as soon as my scalp was not glowing, <laughs> I ditched the cap and went um, just with very, very short hair. And it was a kind of an amazing experience. I really haven't had so much public attention in a long time. Yeah. People just would yeah. talk to me about my hair all the time. Yeah, I'd be walking rain. around yeah, with half inch of hair. And any everybody would comment on it. Men, women, mm. just strangers, people I knew. Um, everybody had something to say about my hair. Um, and uh, it was it was kind of nice actually to um, to have people giving me positive feedback after just feeling so kind of run down um, from the cancer treatment. 
Um, and yeah, so yes, it's definitely a little tricky to navigate having your hair grow back in, but same with you. So happy to be here. Yeah. And whatever my hair looks like. Exactly. <laughs> and I think we also haven't talked about products, which is really important. So I think it's good to get tips from other people about products, you know, at the beginning of the journey to have, I think I was using like a baby shampoo or, you know, to use something that is not laden with chemicals, very gentle shampoo. And I've kind of stuck with that, mm -hmm. actually, even though my hair is very robust now, <laughs> very thick and curly, but I used a lot of oil as well, like oil, on, I think it'd be very soothing, like oil on my head and on my scalp when I was, when I didn't have the hair. And that's right. I put coconut oil yes, on my scalp. Yeah. So that's, that's helpful. That's right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. And it was great being here and being able to, yeah, to chat about it. As you say, it, things do get pretty real pretty quick. So there's, there's a lot to talk about. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Please subscribe to Real Cancer wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us via Twitter at Real Cancer Pod. 